Austin artist, a song about commitment, which is what we're talking about today. You know, you may not know this, but the average wedding costs $20,000 once it's all said and done, um, which I do know because I have a daughter who got married. Uh, Do you know that the average divorce costs $20,000 when it's all said and done as well? Now, what if I went out and I bought a $40,000 Lexus because someone told me that a Lexus is an amazing car? It's like you don't even have to maintain it. They are so solid. And it's like driving ecstasy. And, and I mean, it, you know, ESC and ABS brakes, and it'll, it'll drive itself. It, it'll, it'll give you driving pleasure like you've never experienced before. And so I go out and I buy a Lexus. And uh, after two years, you find out I left it abandoned on the side of the road. And you ask me, why? And I say, well, you know, every week or two, it would run out of gas. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, like, uh, I found imperfections, like dents and dings, and, and the windows didn't work one time. And, uh, and then finally, you know, even though I would wash it and take care of it, it kept getting grimy and dirty. And then finally it broke down on the side of the road, just didn't, wouldn't even work. So I left it, because I'm going to get a better car. And you'd look at me and go, you are nuts, right? You go, you really thought you could buy a Lexus, never put gas in it, never take it in for a tune-up, you know, thought it would never get dirty or have any imperfections. And then when it breaks down, you thought, you would never have to bring in an expert or invest any money in it, and and it would be all great? And I go, yeah. And I'm going to find a better car that will do that. Now, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's exactly the attitude society has today toward marriage. That we, we have completely unrealistic expectations. We're not prepared to work at marriage, and then... We get stuck and refuse to go to experts or put any money into it when things start to break down. And then we leave our $40,000 investment on the side of the road. Actually, it's worth much, much more than that. But that's why we're in this series. That's why we're talking about how do we become the kinds of people, and that's the key, the kinds of people that can make relationships loving and healthy and last a lifetime. And we've been talking about this applied not only to marriage relationships, but really all kinds of intimate or close relationships. Now, we base this on the Prepare and Rich study, um, our soulmates course that prepares people for lasting marriage relationships is based on the assessment that they created. But this this Prepare and Rich study uh, differentiates happy, healthy, vitalized married couples from troubled ones. And we've been looking at the things they discovered kills relationships and how to do the opposite. So here's what they say. They said in 95% of vitalized couples, they scored high in commitment and not a single vitalized couple, 0% scored in the low range of commitment. Commitment matters. And they said this, in looking at a sample of 2,146 devitalized, is that actually a word, devitalized? Devitalized married couples, only 23% scored high in commitment. In other words, commitment turns out to be a great predictor of healthy, happy, lasting marriages, and a lack of commitment, a predictor of how to kill a relationship. So, today we're talking about 
the C word. That's right, because it's like a cuss word in our society, right? We are the non-committal generation. We're scared of the word. It's, it's like a swear word, you know? I mean, have you experienced that? You ever thrown a party and tried to get people to RSVP? How'd that work out for you? Yeah, people don't want to commit. What if something better comes up? That's why some of you have not yet bought your 20-year tickets. What if something better comes up? It won't. I guarantee you. I've been, I, we've been nonstop working on this. I tell you, it's going to be the best thing Gateway's ever done. And not just, not just Gateway, but it's going to be the most amazing, inspiring thing you've ever seen because it's what God is doing. And it's not only what he's done through us, it's what he wants to do through you and through your friends. So don't miss it. Commit. RSVP. Buy your ticket and get some tickets for friends. They, even, even if they don't do church, they will stop at the end and go, wow, how do you explain that? Maybe there really is a God. All right, but why do we fear commitment so much? Well, I think it's because we are the guinea pig laboratory rat generation. That's right. We've been in this experiment of uncommitted love that started in the 60s, in the, what became known as the me first generation. You know, I asked a friend of mine, Michael Warden, who coaches and counsels a lot of people uh, about this. And he said, you know, our experiences growing up, rampant divorce, governmental betrayal, the death of corporate loyalty, showed us a painful personal way, the insubstantial nature of commitment and the consequences of trusting. Disappointment, disillusionment, distrust, severed relationships, shattered families. So with that kind of history, why would we trust in the value of commitment now as adults? That's where we start. And most of us grew up thinking that a 50-50 shot at making a marriage last is just about the best you get. It's just bad odds gambling. And, it, that, and it's always been that way, right? No, it hasn't. You know, while, while many of us were just a dream in our parents' eye or, you know, just figuring out why popping pimples was a bad idea, <laughs> as you were growing up, do you know the divorce rate tripled? From in the 70s, from the 70s to the 80s, the divorce rate increased 300%, 300% more broken families. And many of us grew up with a lot of pain because of that. As one server in a restaurant once said to me, I don't date because I consider that the first step toward divorce. <laughs> and that's where many of us start. We have this fear. And, and we saw marriages and families fall apart. We felt the pain. And many of us vowed, I will never let that happen to me. And I'll never do that to my kid. But we're, that's a fear of commitment caused by a wound. And let me just say to you, friends, God wants to heal the wound, not keep you motivated out of fear. Because motivation out of fear, it doesn't solve the problem. If what we want is intimate, long-term love that can last a lifetime, we have to learn commitment. And it's never too late. Okay, but how? Well, several things. First of all, I think we have to understand God's intent for marriage in the first place, because it was God's idea. So I want to go back to a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago and dive a little deeper. It says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is God's intent for marriage. Now, you know, there's an incredible mystery here in the idea of of two people becoming one. It's a mystery not taught about or thought about near enough. And as a result, we miss the spiritual depth of relationship God wants because we don't even know the bullseye. Now, what does that mean to become one? Well, what it doesn't mean, you know, is obviously you don't body meld, right? Like, uh, like this uh, old X-Files episode I saw where this couple's making out in a car when an alien spacecraft floats over and rearranges all the particles of the atmosphere and they get locked in a permanent kiss. Hope it was a good one. <laughs> it's, it's not that, obviously, because when two become one in marriage, they still remain two individuals, right? Separate bodies, separate minds, separate longings and desires, which actually gives us a clue as to what God meant. It's first spiritual. It says God joins two people into one. See, there's a very real spiritual event that takes place in in marriage that God is doing, that he wants to do, teaching us committed love. It's a spiritual transaction that, that actually he intended to be consummated with Sex, this physical picture of two becoming one that's supposed to mirror mind, heart, motion, soul, everything becoming one. So that we grow with God's help. It's it's a commitment of saying, I am fully giving myself to you, mind, body, emotions, in this commitment of oneness. And with God's help, I'm going to have your thoughts taken into account in all my thoughts. I'm going to consider your emotions when I think about how I feel. I'm going to consider your desires and wants just as much, if not more, than mine. That is oneness. And the scriptures give us a picture of it in Ephesians 5.28. It says, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Here's what you can't miss. The reason marriage is sacred to God is it's meant to be a reflection of what God is like. One. And how he wants all who turn back to him to be united in a oneness with himself. And marriage is meant to reflect that. And so in a very real way, in in, in God's mind, when you get married, it's like, your marriage gets a soul of its own. It's, it's like it gets a new life, a life of its own. Now think about it. If you think about it that way, what if you had a baby and you brought the baby home and you said, hey, Junior, we're so glad that you're here and alive and, and, and this is your new home and I want to show you around. You know, here's the kitchen and, and here's the refrigerator and this is where we keep all the food. We'll, we'll put your bottles on the bottom shelf, okay? Just help yourself. Mi casa es su casa. Okay? And, and, and here's your room. This is your crib and your changing table. And, and, you know, here are your fresh diapers. Change them quickly. I don't like stinky diapers, okay? And let's see, what else do you need to know? Oh, oh, Monday night. Monday night is mom and dad's night, okay? So we really, we really love uh, TV. And um, can you keep it down on Monday nights, okay? And other than that, we're good. And then you go about your regular business. Like nothing, nothing's changed. You make no sacrifices. You don't reorder your life. 
What's going to happen? That life's not going to survive. Friends, a marriage won't survive either without full commitment and sacrifice to growing and maintaining that new life. And let me just tell you, after three decades of this, what Kathy and I have discovered is eventually you don't have to work at it anymore. Yeah. It's not true. You always have to feed and exercise and care for the life of this marriage or it's not going to last. It's not going to survive. It's a life. One life out of two. Now, but notice, it's really three. God never intended to be left out of the marriage equation. It's his idea. And he wants to be involved joining two people together. He wants to teach us how to love with God's unconditional love. See, God is the source of love. Hollywood is not the source or originator of love. So you ought to learn from God, not Hollywood. It says, we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters and spouses. This is saying real love, lasting love, is committed love. And it's what we all want. Deep down, we all want these kinds of relationships where, where we're known fully, warts and all, sins and all, and, and, and yet we're not rejected or abandoned or accepted. We want a love that, that believes and hopes for the best. We want a love that is unselfish and, and thinks about the other. That is God's love. And he wants to teach you how to give it because you'll never get it if you can't give it. But here's the problem. We live in a wounded culture. We live in a culture of divorce trauma where we've been trained and brainwashed into thinking that non-commitment is actually the way to get what we want. You know, it's, it's so common. I mean, you see it everywhere. In fact, take a look at uh, this scene from Four Christmases. Illustrates it well. Get these off of you. That was fun. Mm. That feels good. It's the acupressure. Oh, really? No, I don't know what I'm doing. I just like to rub it. <laughs> you know, this stuff is connected to all different stuff inside your tummy. I know that. If I push the wrong thing, mm. do you know what that's for? Not until later. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> so when's the big day? Hmm? I'm sorry? We're getting married in the spring in South Carolina. Yeah. What about you guys? Oh, we're not getting married. Oh. oh. So why are you taking dance classes? We do a lot of stuff together. That's just oh, one yeah. of many things that we do together. Yeah, it's fun. In fact, I can't think of anything that we don't do together. Right. So why wouldn't you want to get married? Well, we're happy. We're happy. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I love her. So, you know, marriage just kind of brings pressure and stress and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we don't want our relationship to turn into work. We just want to be together because we enjoy it, not because we have to, you know? Yeah. It's like there's a reason that they use the expressions tying the knot or ball and chain. Have you ever listened to the words of a marriage ceremony? Like, I promise to obey? Or till death do us part? I mean, I'd rather be, like, stuck on an island with some weird millionaire hunting me, trying to kill me, and me trying to escape than to be involved in something with those kind of slogans, because that's like a time bomb waiting to explode. So what about children? You do want to make them, no? No. No, no, no. I don't want to make them. Mm-mm. I just don't want to, like, be responsible for this kid and hurt their feelings and disappoint them. Yeah, that's what happens with our families. <laughs> no, I'm, from, we're both from families that are divorced. We've seen it play out. We don't need to repeat the pattern. But anyway, congratulations on, on, on getting married. That sounds like a really cool thing. And to each their own. Yeah, absolutely. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yes, Vince and Reese. 
That's conventional wisdom. I mean, it, it really is. If you, if you don't want the hurt or the pain, just don't commit. You know, conventional wisdom says the best way to make sure uh, that you don't experience that pain of divorce or the best way to make sure you're marrying the right person, try it out first. You know, have sex, buy a house, move in together, do everything that looks like marriage. You know, go for a test drive. See if it's going to work before you commit. And then when you commit, it'll be all good, right? Actually, that is the worst possible thing you can do if what you want is a lasting, loving, healthy marriage relationship that goes the long haul. Now, 65% of teens and young singles actually think living together before marriage is a good idea to make it work. But actually, it increases the odds of your relationship breaking up significantly. It kills your relationship. Now, before I go on, let me just say, I know a lot of you have lived together. Uh, I know some of you here are living together right now. And I'm not saying this to judge or to condemn. I'm saying what I'm about to say because I care. Seriously, for 30 years, I've counseled couples who have done it the world's way and have gone down, and I've seen so much hurt and heartache. And I'm not saying this because I, I get anything out of it. I'm saying it because I actually care about you getting the thing that I hear people really want, loving, lasting intimacy. And I see how much we react out of the hurt and the wound, but God wants to heal the wound so we can be the kinds of people who can have lasting, intimate relationships. So let me just say this. If, you're, if you are living together right now, or if you're married and you lived together before, you know, I want you to just try to be open-minded to rethink maybe how you were thinking about it. You know, the, the word in scripture, repent, is literally metanoia. It literally means to rethink, to change your mind. And, and changing your mind about it can make a huge impact. Because let me just tell you, uh, it's not just God's opinion, it's research too. Rutgers State University did extensive research on living together before marriage. Listen to their conclusions. Virtually all research on the topic has determined that the chances of divorce ending a marriage preceded by cohabitation are significantly greater than a marriage not preceded by cohabitation. Cohabitors have a hazard of dissolution, in other words, chance of breaking up, 40% higher, 46% higher than non-cohabitors. In other words, if you want your relationship to last, don't live together. You're increasing the odds of it not lasting. In fact, that study goes on and says no positive contribution of cohabitation to marriage has ever been found. Now, maybe you don't like what Rutgers is saying. Try psychology today. Psychology today, living with your partner before tying the knot may help you pay the rent, which is what people, why people do it lots of times, but it could cost you the relationship new research suggests. And then the prepare and rich study that we're basing this series on, here's what they found. In comparing dating couples living together versus living apart, the differences were dramatic. Only 21% of those living together were vitalized, compared with 51% of the dating couples who didn't live together. And they go on and say, 48% of cohabiting daters were in the conflicted range, only 16% of those not living together. They also found this. Take a look. Next one. Even if you're engaged, if you're engaged, 
committed to be married, that helps, okay, but still not as much as not living together. About half, 51% of cohabiting engaged couples were vitalized compared to 60% of non-cohabiting engaged couples who were vitalized, a 9% difference. Now, this may lead you to ask, well, why? Why would that be? Here's why. Here's what I, what I think. Because you're not training yourself for oneness. You're not training yourself for the very thing God created it to be, to become a committed person. See, God's love is committed love. It's unconditional love. Unconditional means no conditions. But friends, when you live together, you're doing everything a married couple does except you have the condition that if there's something I don't like, I'm out of here. That's it, right? Commitment is the one thing needed most. And so let me, let me say as well, I know everybody's doing it, okay? But everybody's getting divorced too. So don't do what everybody's doing. And, and can someone, can a couple live together and end up, you know, in, in a healthy, lasting marriage relationship? Yes, of course. But people also go from the top of Niagara Falls to the bottom in a barrel and make it. They do. But there is a safer, wiser way to get there. Okay, that's all I'm saying. No, seriously, though, with 50% odds right now of a marriage not lasting, why would you increase your odds of your relationship breaking up by another nearly 50% if what you want is lasting love? Well, what should we do about it in a world that's scared to commit? Well, let me say a couple things. First, if you're single or dating, develop your relationship spiritually and on a foundation of friendship first and, and rethink what our society is saying. In fact, go read that paper, Should I, Should I Live Together Before Marriage? It's uh, Rutgers University. You can just uh, Google that, Should We Live Together Before Marriage, Rutgers, and read that paper. Or read this book by uh, Mike McManus. It's called Living Together. He was a former Time, uh, time correspondent uh, who did research on it and wrote this. Now, if you're already living together, uh, read those as well, but then I would suggest you do something crazy. And here's what it is. Fast from sex. Don't have sex until you get married, okay? And even consider moving out until you get married. Now, why would I say that? Well, a couple things. First of all, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says this. It may surprise you, related to, to sex and marriage. It says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, here's what this is saying. God's design in marriage is that sex would be this ongoing recommitment of oneness to each other, and it's to be expressed often as that commitment, except sometimes for spiritual growth, for a time of prayer or spiritual growth. Now, the reason that I'm, I'm saying that if you're not yet married is because sexual intimacy does bond you. God designed it that way. It does bond you, but not with a bond that alone can, can last. And what it actually does when you're not married and you don't have a solid foundation is it masks issues that will cause your, your, your marriage to uh, struggle. And so when you stop 
having sex and you work on the things that, have a, that will be for a lasting foundation, you won't be sorry. And I'm telling you, I've seen couples over the last 20 years make a decision that, that we're going we're gonna to wait now, even though we've been living together, we've been having sex, we're going to wait or we're going to move out until we get married. And I've never, ever had one come back and say, we're really sorry we did that. You know, that short-term sacrifice was the biggest mistake we ever made. Never once, but many who have said, man, I'm so glad we did that because it laid a foundation that really changed the way we're, we're looking at this and really helped us grow in our friendship and our communication, our flexibility, the things we've been talking about that make a marriage last. And let me just say, if you're married but you lived together before marriage, I'm not saying your marriage is doomed. Not at all. What it means, though, is you've got to rethink what it's about and, and how you went at it so you lay a foundation that will last. You know, our marriage workshop coming up on 1013 is a great way to do that. But let me also just suggest this. Rethink it right now. You know, Chip Ingram wrote a great book called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. Uh, we have it up there. I would highly recommend you read that. Let me give you a quick summary of some of the things he says. You know, he talks about how most of us have learned the, the, the plan for lasting relationships from Hollywood rather than God. And here's Hollywood's formula or Hollywood's plan for lasting relationships. First, find the right person, okay? Second, fall in love. In other words, you know, get those tingly feelings and that sexual romantic energy revved up. And then three, fix all your hopes and dreams on that one person. And four, if failure occurs, repeat steps one through three. We've all seen it, okay? And, and, and here's, here's what's wrong. It's a me-centered, how do I feel, uncommitted approach to relationship. It's like this. Let me, let me draw it for you. Um, if I can find it. So Hollywood's relating plan says start with the physical. It's all about physical or sexual attraction. How, how do I feel? How does this person make me feel? How does this person make me look? And you get the sex going fairly early on. And, and if that feels good, then you, you move to the emotional. And this is the romance phase. You know, this is, this is where you have those tingly feelings. And remember, romance phase only lasts about two years. We talked about that, right? But, you know, this is where... Gosh, you're just, you're, you're so infatuated with one another and there's nothing that person can do wrong. And actually, you don't talk about differences or anything wrong because it's teetering on a very narrow foundation, right? So you don't talk about differences. And many times, you know, it, it, it's, it teeters between wild infatuation and insane jealousy. Many couples get stuck in the breakup, makeup phase back and forth. But if they last long enough through this, then they get to the social phase where they start to get to know each other's friends and maybe family. And, and that can tell you a lot. And, and maybe you're met with warm acceptance and you really like everything, but it might bring up real warning signs because seeing how others react in family or friends can, can show you a lot. And you see warning signs. But many times I find couples blow past the warning signs because they're sexually and emotionally entangled at this point. So they don't want to see that. And they keep going. But then they come inevitably to the psychological phase. 
And this is when you start to deal with the real person in real life. If you hang in there long enough, you go through the real ups and downs, and you start to see this person has flaws. This, this person thinks differently than I do. And, and at this point, you know, real questions are brought up in the relationship. And, and, it, and it starts to, to teeter, right? Because it's, there's not a, a solid foundation there. And, and many times, this is the point at which the insecurities cause one or the other to try to press for more commitment, but out of insecurity, and maybe even press for the spiritual phase of marriage. And you know, even people who don't believe in God know that marriage is, is something sacred, something, something special. And so that maybe they press and they go, okay, well, maybe that'll help give us a solid foundation. But unfortunately, sprinkling a little, sprinkling a little pastor dust at a wedding ceremony won't make that a solid foundation. It won't. And that's why many times it's, it's teetering and, it, and it's wobbly. Now, let me just say, it's never too late to turn it around and learn God's way of committed love, no matter where you've been or what you've done. And God's way, God's plan of lasting relationships turns it upside down. It starts with the spiritual. In fact, it says this in Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. See, God's plan is exactly the opposite of Hollywood's. Here's how God's plan goes. First of all, become the right person instead of find the right person. Second, walk in love. Walk in God's love. Third, fix your hope on God and seek to please him through this relationship. And fourth, if failure occurs, repeat steps one through three. So it starts with the spiritual. In other words, you start by thinking, what does God want for this person? Not what do I want from this person? Big difference. That is a foundation that will really last. And then you move on to the psychological. Did I? I didn't. Someone didn't spell that right. Psychological. Maybe so. So you move on to the psychological phase. Then you get to know the person, right? So you, you find out, you, you let yourself be known, you get to know that person, you find out, can I trust this person? Am I, can I be trustworthy with them? You gain friendship, you go through some highs and lows and you see, and then you start to see them interact with their friends and their family and that can tell you a lot. And because you're not sexually and emotionally bonded and intertwined and tangled where you can't see straight, you can, you can pay attention. Okay, are these warning signs serious? Do we need to slow down and work through these before we keep going? And then the emotional comes. And then the emotional, you know, you may still have all those raging, flaring, infatuation things and all that, but you start to feel love based on something real because you've gotten to know a real person on a solid foundation. And then the physical can be expressed connected to the true level of commitment you have. So if you're not yet married, you can physically express intimacy without being sexual. But you can also save sex for what God intended. A commitment that I will never leave you or forsake you, we will become one, body, mind, and spirit. That's what he intended. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And you know, friends, God tells us this not to ruin our fun, 
to protect us from so much hurt and pain that we've been feeling and also to provide something better. And do you know that, that the greatest sexual fulfillment uh, studies have shown come from a relationship that has close emotional intimacy, good communication, and commitment? Commitment. So let me just say this for all of you who are married, and especially for those who are struggling. Don't leave the Lexus in the ditch. You know, commitment, commitment is, is not a high value in marriage either, right? And, and people give up so easily. Work on your marriage, but don't work on it alone. Work on it with God's help and let others into it. You know, in Minnesota, uh, there was a study done, 60, 66% of people currently divorced answered yes to this question. Do you wish you and your ex-spouse had tried to work harder through your differences? 66% said, yeah, I really do. We gave up too soon. In New Jersey, same poll, 46% of divorced people said they wish that their ex-spouse and them had tried harder. Apparently, New Jerseyans aren't quite as eager to try harder but I don't know what that's about. But think about it. 50% of those already divorced look back and go, we threw in the towel too soon. We should have and we could have worked harder. Don't leave the Lexus on the side of the road. It's worth so much more. And you may feel like it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. You're, you both have to let God in. You can only be responsible for you letting God in. God's love is what we all want, but he wants to teach us how to love the other with his kind of love. And whether it's in marriage or dating or friendships or family, isn't that what you want? Let me just summarize what that is. No fear of judgment. Don't you want that? It says 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. And it shows that God's love has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. See, real love doesn't demand that you perform or succeed or do this or that or else you're going to be judged, condemned, and pushed away. And God loves you like that and he wants to teach you to love the other like that. No fear of abandonment. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. See, real love doesn't quit. It doesn't give up on the other. God never will abandon you. If you've turned and given your heart to him, you, he wants you to become one with him in such a way, and he says he will never abandon you, even when you turn your back on him. And he wants to teach you to offer that to others. No fear of rejection. Accept one another, says in Romans 15, 7, just as Christ accepted you. He accepted you as is. Flaws, character defects, all your sins, he took on himself on the cross. He paid the highest price. That's how much God loves you, and he wants to teach you to love like that. You can't do that without his help. I can't do that without his help. No fear of external threats. Romans 8, 38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Real love breeds security. 
He wants you to experience that security from him so you can offer it to another. Isn't that what we all want? God wants to help us with it. As you listen to this song, uh, really of this woman who wrote it singing about God's love, but also about the love for another, I want you to just reflect. God, how can I learn from you how to love another like you love me? And then Justin will come up and close us in prayer.